This podcast is a production of Phoenix Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the Phoenix Media Podcast Network by visiting phoenixmedia.us. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' immortal book. Tarzan feels his hold giving way. The sucking, slithering sand has drawn Tracy down too deeply for the ape man to pull him out. For two hours, Tarzan has fought with death. Now every nerve, every muscle, every fiber of his strong body aches and pulses with the unnatural strain. He tries to free his hands. Tracy, feeling the movement, struggles in frenzy, grips more tightly. His nails dig into the ape man's wrists. His raised eyes stare unseeingly before him. Again, Tarzan tries to free himself from the deathly grip. Again, Tracy clutches at his salvation, Tarzan's arm. With a mighty effort, Tarzan braces himself. His tortured lungs feel the relief of his scream. The shock hits Tracy like a blow. His fingers relax. Touch again, open and close convulsively, claw-like. They grasp at the air. Tarzan has freed himself. Gasping, he throws himself on the sand. His breath comes painfully. The blood throbs in his temples. Tarzan pulls himself painfully to his knees. Tracy is almost up to his armpits in the sand. Every futile movement draws him deeper, holds him more securely in the treacherous sand. With foam-flecked mouth and bloodshot eyes, writhing like a maniac, Tracy clutches at Tarzan as the ape-man staggers to his feet. Tarzan hears the answering call from the tall trees. The apes have heard. Every movement is torture to Tarzan. Every joint is strained and wrenched. 
He glances at Tracy, feels his side to be sure that his knife is there, and starts for the nearest cottle tree. His fingers are almost numb with pain as he pulls himself up from branch to branch. Up, up, up he goes, sits aside a branch, and hacks the tough joints of a creeping vine. The knife that has so easily killed Horta finds the fibers of the vine a different matter. Tarzan slashes, pierces. The fibers part. The ape-man gazes the distance to the ground, drops like a sounding lead from limb to limb, throws himself clear and grasps the broken vine. Side to side, swinging like a pendulum, breaking his fall with feet and elbows, he tears the sturdy sandals from that silent tree. Close to the ground, hanging to the vine like grim death, he shoots through the leaves. At last, he reaches the ground. Tarzan points to the vines, then to the quicksands. The smaller apes bound forward, the older take their time. Tarzan leaps into the quicksands. Quickly, he passes one end of the vine under Tracy's armpit, throws himself on the ground, reaches out, pulls the vine around Tracy's chest. Tracy's clutching fingers try to grasp Tarzan, but the ape man twists to one side. Tarzan points to the free end of the vine, pulls frantically. The ape swallows you. Tracy yells in agony as the vine bites into his chest. The ape, standing among themselves, pay no attention to the man, join in Tarzan's new game. The vine stretches, creeps, snaps, loses out of the fiber. It slips. A horrible scene comes in Tracy struggles. His feet move. He lunges forward. Beats the sand with his fist. The eggs reel back. Tracy dances momentarily in midair. Falls on the sand. Clear of the trap. Meanwhile, aboard the steamer, Snipes, hearing the hammering in the hold, is gone to find Yon. And Clayton works desperately to loosen the last remaining boat. How long, Clayton? I, I, I can't hold on. Just a few seconds, Daddy. Just a few seconds. Right. Now. Hey, what's going on in there? I'll give you ten seconds, John. One more blow of the hammer, and the water goes to the boilers. Quick, then, to the boiler room, and shut the valve to the hole. That's right, Ben. It's too late. The water's over the pipe now. One blow from the hammer, and we all go together. Come on, Mike. Young, you know how to take them. If he opens the door, the water will rush out. And then it'll be high enough to let the boiler. When the door opens, hang on till the first rush of water is over. <coughs> Water. Yes. Get a gun first thing. Stick it in your breath. All right. Well, Don't move. Professor Porter has an automatic breast in the small of your back. Now, Miss Porter, are you all right? Uh, well, yes, I, I think I am. Yes, yes, I'm all right. Uh, I am a man of peace. But at the present moment, I feel almost tempted... To press this trigger. Oh, you, you can't do that. Why, why kill a man in, in cold blood? Oh, by Joe. I say, what a crust. Here you jolly well try to drown us. Ah. 
I think I promised to kill you. Now, if one of you makes a move, Yon dies. Now, Yon, I'll let you live. On one condition. Anything. Anything. If the professor here will quit shaking that gun in my back. Not for a while, Yon. Not for some little time yet. Miss Porter. Yes. Take Snipe's gun. You won't mind. Will you, Snipe? Give us a gun, you fool. Do you want to see me killed? <laughs> I ain't sure, but what that ain't a bad idea. Come on, come on. We're wasting time. John, where's Mr. Philander? He's below. He's in his cabin. Is he all right? He's all right. Just get him up here. Yes, sir. And John. Yes, sir. Get a boat ready. That that's it, mate. Fill the boat for them. I'll turn them free. You do as you're told, John. Or the professor's finger will itch. Anything you say, Mr. Clayton, anything. Miss Potter, yes. will you go below, get all your things that you can carry, and stow them in the boat? Yes, yes, yes. Now, Yon, I want water, provisions, clothes, a good compass, rope, matches, uh, firearms and ammunition. Yes, sir. And Yon? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Rockets. And be sure they're good ones. White, red, green. Yes, sir. Yes, and Yon? Yes, sir. Not only pistols, but four rifles. Now, Yon, order your rats. So later, mate. You heard the gentleman's orders. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Well, Jimmy Philander, what have you been doing? 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 I haven't been doing anything. I've been done too. These, these, yes, these. Yes, yes, I know. We haven't been able to think of a good name for them either. Don't you move, Yonk, or I'll shoot. They locked me in the cabin. Accused me of hiding some, some map or something. Threatened me with some very refined methods of torture. No, no, I think this is all... Why, hello, Mr. Philander. Why, hello, Jane. Uh, uh, you, you, you've brought our hunting clothes, eh? That's the thing, Jane. And all the spare shoes. We might be able to make some dresses and kills out of grass, but I like shoes. Uh, I'll relieve you of the gun, Father. If you go below and get some razors, I will not forget it. them. I went to your cabin, Cecil, and brought your kit. Oh, good girl. And now I know oh, what we have... going on here? That's right, Kitty. Uh, while you were loafing... Now, you listen to me, Professor Archimedes Q. Porter. If it's going to be... Everything the boat, Mr. Clayton. Fine. Now, Yon, I'll hold this gun on you till Miss Porter, the Professor, and Mr. Philander are in the boat. Then the Professor will keep you covered till I get aboard. How's that? But, sir... It doesn't suit you, eh? Well, we'll row away a few hundred feet, and then you can get out. But, sir, that, that ain't right, sir. What's the matter... Can't you swim? No, sir. No, sir. And the shark, sir. Well, that's too bad. Now swing out the boat. In you get, Jane. Yes, yes, yes. And you, Kinney. After you, Professor. In you get. And stop arguing. All ready, Mr. Clayton. Right. Lower away. Now, Yon, your neck. Oh, in I say. 
I'll go. I'll go. Kill me. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. You I'll go. go. Jolly well bet you'll go. Get down that rope ladder. Lively now. Oh, look out. Hey, what the? Mr. Blast is first officer, Captain Young. This is where we get the drop on you. And all of you. This is how the likes of you was meant to be a skipper. Ha, 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 ha. I'll show Something right here, aha! Uh-huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah! Full of exclusive loot! On surprises delivered to your door every month! Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy! <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude! Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box! Woohoo! Yeehoo! Wowzers! With crates starting as low as $11.99 per month, there's a box just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media.us forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. from off the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' romantic novel. Down, everybody. Down in the bottom of the boat. Sight, you limey swab. Drop that. Swab, hey, my. Yeah, hate this one. You fool, you Don't antagonize me. Two holes in the boat already, young. That's dead in that. And I can't swim with that crew shooting at me in the water. Or me neither. But at least, sight, sight. Yes, Mr. Blumen, first time I've attracted a hatchery, young. What did the army want now? If you kill me... If! If! <laughs> Ain't that a good one? I've only been signed with your ass. But I can pop your own. When you do, Stites, who'll navigate the ship? I will. I You will. You. Why, you can't even keep her on a straight course. You can't read a chart. You couldn't take a bearing to save your life. You navigate a ship. Why, you... Well, that changes the situation, eh, my fine sailors? Bunch of landlubbers, wharf rats, scums. Oh, easy, oh. Easy. Easy ain't the way to handle rats. Wait till I get aboard. Lay down those guns. Quick now. I'm going up the ladder. 
If one man has a gun in his hand when I get aboard, I'll do something that ain't been done for years. I'll kill you all. As soon as she gets up on deck, yes, we'll pull away, head to the shore. But they'll shoot. Not if we're quick enough. Professor, can you row? I don't know. I haven't for years. Not since college. Nor have I. Uh, how about you, Belinda? I couldn't say. I I never tried. Anyway, let's grab the oars at the first chance and keep pulling to the left. Now, my beauties. Uh, no, keep now. What did you call me? I mean, Captain, I... That's better. So you want to kill me? Shoot me? Oh, no, sir. Strike me pink, sir. I was only spilling. Spilling, eh? Well, so am I. Now, they're fighting among themselves. Uh, I'm afraid I'm not too much good. Never say die, Archimedes. Perhaps we'll get far enough away. Can I I do anything anything at all to help? Yes. Take that rifle. Keep your head below the gunwale. If you see a suspicious move, shoot and to kill. Oh, but I can't. I, I couldn't you, shoot. You must, dear. If you don't kill them first, why they'll kill us. All right. But They've I... seen us. Will I, will I shoot? Not yet. Uh, uh, that fell by the ring. He, he is raising no. his gun. Shoot. Uh, uh, did you get him? I, I don't know. Pull. Pull, fella. Oh, oh, oh. oh, Daddy! Daddy, are you hurt? Uh, no, dear. Uh, uh, that one came through the boat. Raised my knee. Again, Jane. That one on the after wheel out. My God. The water like hail. My Water coming into the boat. They hit us again. Yes, but if they don't hit us again. Food, Philander. Food. I am pulling. What do you think I'm doing? You're pulling. Pulling. We're almost ashore. And you beat the boat and get behind the rock. I'll get out. I'll get behind the boat and help push. You get out behind the rock, eh? I won't. He's got to save the boat. Out. Out, all of you. On the next wave, keep her ashore. Uh, all together. Now! Meanwhile, on the beach, we come on Tarzan, the apes, Tracy. The last wrench pulls Tracy clear of the quicksand, throws the apes back. Tarzan leaps to his feet, springs to Tracy's side. His torn, bleeding fingers work feverishly to free the captain from the tangled vine. The apes, their attention drawn from the game of pulling Tracy free, centers on Tracy himself, self. They start forward. Tarzan glances up, yells to them to go back to the jungle. They stop, but only for a moment. Their long arms swing forward. Closer, closer, closer yet they come. Tracy, stunned, racked with pain, only partly conscious struggles. The apes see the movement, start forward. Again Tarzan calls to them to go back. A jerk frees the vine from Tracy. Tarzoops lifts him to his shoulders. A glance shows him that retreat to the jungle is cut off. He starts to run, heads for the sea. The apes follow quickly. They're gaining. Tarzan's double burden forces his feet into the soft sand, but he struggles on. The distance between them lessens. The apes are dangerously close. Tracy stirs, opens his eyes, sees the apes, knows Tarzan can never make it. Put me down, put me down. Tracy shouts. Tarzan understands the meaning, if not the words. Puts Tracy on his feet, points to the sea, then wheels around, arms outstretched. 
face to face with the nearest of the apes. They stop. This is different. Again, that shout to go back. Some Some stay where they are. Not so Turcots. Biggest of the tribe and Tarzan's enemy. He comes steadily, stealthily, cunningly forward. The ape growls, reaches forward, lips curling, fangs bared. The bristling hair on the bull neck stands out, muscles bulging. Tarzan again commands. The ape leaps. Tarzan jumps to one side, turns, springs, lands on the brute's neck. Turcot growls, throws himself backwards, back on the sand. Tarzan leaps clear. The ape is up on his feet, lunges. Tarzan reaches for his knife. The ape watches, hesitates. Tarzan leaps, every muscle tense. The right knee drawn up, fists doubled, head down, shoulders hunched. All his weight, his tremendous strength behind the bended knee. Pull the ape's stomach. The ape falls, doubled up, all the wind knocked out of him. Tarzan yells his triumph, bounds away, up the shore he goes. He springs into the lower branches of a silver tree. Hand over hand, he climbs up into the higher jungle terrace. A glance through the foliage shows him Tracy, well on his way, swimming to the steamer. He fills his lungs with a sigh of satisfaction. Good to be back in the treetops again. The raucous screeching of unseen pirates and the tangled branches overhead is music to him. He leaps in some clear of brilliant emerald whip snake, dozing in a patch of golden sunlight, drops to the trail again, and swings into the well-worn path through the matted labyrinth of jungle green. With the shot, the jungle noises stop. Tarzan hangs from a branch, still, tense, ears strained, listening. Tarzan's heart beats fast. The sounds, the sounds come from the hut, his hut. Anger seizes him. Are these hairless ones from the thing that floats upon the water coming to his hut? He moves forward, quickly, silently, gathers speed, flashes through the branches with the speed of a bird. Tarzan reaches the familiar clearing. Below is the hut, his hut. He glances toward the beach, sees Jane, her father, Clayton, and Philander headed in the direction of the hut. Then why don't you come on, all of you? He drops silently, swiftly, cautiously through the branches, lifts the latch on the door, opens it, and enters. Standing in the summer gloom, lightened only by the darting rays of sunlight as they filter through the lacy leaves. Thoughts, feelings, inexpressible longings surge up in him. He glances at the bare wall, the rude cupboard, the rough-hewn table. Emotions, tumultuous, the primitive sense of possession stirs in his breast. The door with its latch has always been a barrier against the beasts of the jungle, but against M-E-N... He runs his hand across the rough, uneven planking of the table. Days, weeks, months he has sat there, laboring over that primer with its childish pictures of a M-A-N and an A-P-E. Here, 
With stubby pencil and yellowed paper, he had laboriously struggled with those bugs as he thought of the alphabet, putting into words the things he couldn't say. He had taught himself that he was a M-A-N, not an A-P-E. In this hut, he had found that intangible, that instinctive something that made him different from the apes. That indefinable quality, breeding. And now, again he glanced about. Was he to lose it all? Tarzan hears the voices. He goes to the window. Like a blow, the realization that his hut, his home, is to be invaded, drives him to sudden action. Taking a pencil and paper from the shelf, he prints a message. And then, remembering the little shiny thing on the silver chain, he takes the locket containing Lord and Lady Greystoke's pictures, hangs the chain about his neck, and lifting the paper with its message, opens the door quietly, fixes the message to it with a pointed stick, and leaves the hut. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. of the Apes, brought to you from out the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' immortal book. The jungle is uneasy. Brutish instinct warns against this invasion by humans, and the small apes, chattering excitedly, take to the slender branches of the tall trees. First time in the twisted branches of an owl tree, Tarzan watches with resentful interest, waiting to see whether or not these M-E-N will heed the warning he has fixed on the door of his hut. His hut! He clenches and unclenches his hands as he thinks of what he will do to them if they dare to invade his domain. What was that? Tarzan leans forward. That voice is different. He brushes aside the sheltering leaves of the aloe tree and stares fixedly at Jane Porter. His heart beats faster. Something, he knows not what, stirs in his breast. This, this M-A-N is not like the other. It's like hair, more great. Tarzan's eyes eagerly follow Jane's every movement. With effortless ease, he reaches above and pulls himself to a higher branch to better his view. The difference between Jane and the others puzzles him. Instinctively, he feels it. Wrecks his brain, seeking a comparison. Lies, graceful, like Sabor the lioness, compared to Numa, her lord and master. More like the she's of Mongol's village, where he gets his arrow. 
and he touches the quiver on his back that reminds him he will have to go there again soon. Brave the horrors of that cannibal crowd and plunder the chief's hut for a fresh supply. He looks again at you. That must be it. This M-A-N must be a S-H-E. All the resentment against the invasion of his home falls away from Tarzan. If she is to use his hut, then they can all use it unmolested. Tarzan reaches out, grasps the tough stem of a giant ivy vine, and with scarcely the disturbance of a leaf, drops rapidly hand over hand to the spongy moss floor of the jungle carpet. Moving the tall grasses and shrub plants, he skirts the clearing about the hut. With the caution born of the jungle, silently, stealthily, Tarzan creeps toward the approaching party. Well, those blighters seem to stop firing. Uh, yes, yes. I'm glad, too. It's, it's frightfully annoying. I suppose the next thing to do is to get ourselves out of sight of those pirates and make preparations to defend our lives if they come ashore. Hadn't we better get this stuff out of the boat and take it somewhere? May I make a suggestion? Oh, Mr. Clayton here is an army man, and we seem to be embarked on a sort of Robinson Crusoe or Swiss family Robinson affair... I would humbly suggest that Mr. Clayton be appointed head of the party. Well, now, I feel that I'm a good Harry, ah, Clayton, now you must assume the responsibility. I'm in favor of it. It'll lead me to pursue my archaeological investigations unhampered by petty details. Well, I am much more interested in something to eat just at present. Well, then I say... Cecil, you're a man after my own heart. <laughs> he may be a man after your heart, but he's the man Shakespeare must have had in mind when he said, let good digestion wait on appetite. I'm as hungry as a bear. Well, then, here is a can of beans. Oh, horrors. Does the first meal have to be beans? Well, here is some canned sausage. Oh, and some hard biscuits. A meal for a king. I'm really quite hungry myself. Cecil, open this can for me, will you please? Certainly. And I think if we use water from one bottle at a time, we can keep track of our supply more easily. Uh, your glass, Professor. Uh, my glass? Oh, oh uh, this tin mug. <laughs> Thank you, Clayton. Thank you. <laughs> what is that? Oh, I don't know. It might be anything. Uh, uh, sticks. What's wrong, Daddy? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, why, uh, uh, what's uh, wrong, eh? Uh, what, what's that, my dear? I asked you what you were annoyed about. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, why, I've mislead one of my books. <laughs> well, Daddy, we've just escaped with our lives. Here we are. Stranded on the west coast of Africa, and you're worried about a book. Uh, but, but it's a, a, a very fine book, my dear. Uh, one by Professor... Professor... Oh, no, I can't for the life of me remember the man's name. Uh, but it's about... Uh, uh, let me see now. What is it about? Well, well, I don't recall the title, but its subject matter is of undeniable interest. Well, Professor, it will soon be dark. I think we ought to see about getting some sort of a shelter ready for the night. I don't like to build a fire so close to the jungle, but at the same time, we have to think about wild animals. Wouldn't we be safe on the beach? I don't like the idea of being within gunshot of those pirates. Uh, there, now. That's the sort of thing I like. Uh, by the way, uh, where's Philander? He wandered up shore. He could look out for himself. I, don't... I hope. 
Don't be too sure about Philander. He is as helpless as a child. Why, the number of times I've had to look out for him. Uh, he's a regular old fossil sometimes. Hey! Hey! What's the matter? There have been people here before us. Just like Philander. <laughs> of course there have. Hadn't I told you that the theory of the land of the two rivers being the cradle of civilization is erroneous? Hadn't I always maintained that here in Africa lived the prehistoric man? Listen to me, Professor Archimedes Q. Porter. I'm not talking about prehistoric man. I'm talking about a hut. <laughs> Why, that's amazing. How could it... Look, here it is. Years ago, this must have been quite a clearing. Say, there's a notice on the door. This solves our difficulties for the night, anyway. What does the notice say? Uh, uh, don't touch it, Philander. It may prove to be a very valuable document. It is a very valuable warning, if it's true. Listen. This is the home of Tarzan, the killer of many beasts. Do not harm the things that are Tarzan's. Tarzan watches, and it's signed Tarzan of the Apes. What can it mean? I don't know, but it's obviously many years since the cabin was built. Uh, uh, but that warning is recent. See, see, it is not even fading. Why, Professor? The paper's yellowed with age. Bother the paper. The writing. I mean, I mean, the printing is fresh. There doesn't seem to be anybody inside. Uh, then I suggest that we all take possession. And I agree, Professor. In just a few minutes, it will be dark. We ought to get as much of our gear up from the boat as possible. Oh, I'm so thrilled. Let's go in. All afternoon, Tarzan watches the party unload their boats, but especially he watches Jane. Save for the incessant chatter of brightly pruned birds and the occasional bellow of some beast at the waterhole, the jungle is quiet. The slanting rays of the dying sun, as it sinks into the foam-flecked waters of the Atlantic, lights the depths of the jungle with a ruddy glow, while high overhead, the locked branches of giant trees like the apse of some vaulted cathedral, are lost in purple shadow. The jungle twilight is short-lived. In one last blaze of light, the sun dips over the rim of the world. Night falls swiftly on the primeval forest. And still Tarzan watches. A lantern is lighted in the hut. It shines through the blackness like the reflected light from the facets of a diamond. Tarzan stirs. It's time for him to seek his leafy bed. But interest, interest in Jane is stronger than the wooing of sleep. He rises to his feet. His bronze body melts into the friendly shadows as he moves noiselessly toward the hut. But what of Yant and his rascally crew of cutthroats? What of Tracy, who has finally reached the ship with a map of the hidden treasure? Yant has ordered our boat loaded it with picks and shovels, and with the map clutched in his grasping fingers, has brought his gang of ruffians ashore. According to this map, 
We go 150 paces north from this rock, then 50 paces east, then 15 paces south, and she should be there. Don't say how many feet down, though. The only way to find that out is to dig. So get busy. Who are you hoarding of? Oh. Ain't you gonna do no digging? I'll have you understand, Snipes. I'm captain here. Listen to him, Mike. Captain. And what about Trifle? Ain't he's only alive because I need a navigating officer. But if he tries any monkey business, it'll be curtains for him. And it'll be the same for any man that tries any monkey business with Captain Yacht. Come on now. Show some speed. Get digging. Oh. You ain't going to take a shovel, eh? No, you limey swab. All right, then. If you won't take a shovel, you'll take a pickaxe. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. of the Apes, brought to you from out the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' amazing book. Well, a hut is certainly more than I expected to find in this. I do. Professor, Jane outside the office. What's the matter? What are you two whispering about? Oh, oh nothing, my dear. Uh, just a moment. You see, Jane, we, uh, uh, that is, uh, in simple language, my dear, the previous inhabitants of this hut, poor souls, evidently met their end together, with the inevitable result that... That their bodies are still here? Oh, no, no, no. It must have been years ago. Then, then what you are trying to say is that there are two skeletons that... Three, to be precise. There's a baby in this crib. Oh, how terrible. Oh, the poor thing. To think of them all alone. Well, now, don't be upset. It happened a long time ago. You just sit down outside. It'll only take a few minutes. I'm not squeamish. Not after our experiences of the past few days. All right. Uh, you can put things in order, uh, if that is, if you don't mind. Just put them where you want them. You I understand. Them. Get ready to set up housekeeping in our new home. Well, that's the idea. As long as you can see the humorous side of things, well, I'll have no fear. Ah, Philander. Yeah. What? Your attention and your advice. Delighted. Take a look at this uh, baby skeleton. Ah, extremely short tibia and uh, elongated radius. A skull, Philander. Don't be so obtuse. And I see decidedly anthropoidal characteristics. Amazing. 
You don't suppose... Hey, look at here. Then you want your mucky old book. Uh, coming, my dear. Uh, say nothing to the others, Philander. We don't want... All right, all right, uh, all right. Now, 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 what is it, dear? You said something about... Oh, yes, here they are. Where do you want me to put them? Oh, yes, yes. But I, I think this cupboard is as good a place as any. Well, that's where I'm going to put the canned goods, and I don't... Well, my dear, I don't think either the canned goods or the books will suffer if they are placed together. Does anyone know where that pressure lamp was put? It's getting dark. While we haven't an inexhaustible supply of fuel, still we might as well use it tonight. I think... In fact, I'm sure it's in the same box as the canned sausage. At least that would account for the remarkably strange taste of the sausage. <laughs> well, apparently you're right. Here it is. Oh, that's much better. Well, it's certainly going to be a treat to sleep for once in something like a house again. And Cecil, I'd feel much safer with the door closed. Oh, uh, of <laughs> Tarzan swings himself leisurely along the upper jungle terrace. A pale moon sends streaks of shimmering silver across the waters of the bay. The swaying trees cut fantastic shadows on the spongy moss a hundred feet below. Though Tarzan's body moves leisurely, his mind races. He's watched Clayton and the party unload their boat and move their gear to his Tarzan hut. And strangest of all, these... M-E-N have not fought. Tarzan stops. He leans forward, listening. The sounds are coming from the beach. He glances toward the hut. The lamp glows dimly in the distance. He pulls himself higher, branch by branch, to the crest of an acacia. Now he can see, down on the fringe of the jungle close by the sea, a light gleams. And a light means M-E-N. Instinct, reason, telling that these men are dangerous, are from the thing that floats upon the water. With lightning speed he drops, limb by limb, down, down into the inky blackness of the denser foliage. His body swaying, his strong fingers steel-like, certain of their hold, grasping the branches with ape-like accuracy. His feet touch the leafy carpet, and spreading the treacherous, gnarled branches of a wait-a-bit thorn bush, he glides through the clump of bamboo. Tarzan stops. He sees the pirate crew gathered about Yant, a big man with heavy, beetling eyebrows. The big man waves his arms and points angrily at the ground. A little man detaches himself from the group, picks up a thing like a club. The big man doubles up his fist, shakes it in the little man's face. The little man swings. The big man steps back, but too late. The club-like thing crushes the big man to the ground. You, you kill him, Snipe, sir. I meant to. What's the use of the life to him? All he could do was holler. He couldn't work, but he could navigate one. Not the word about silent a blooming ship. Well, never mind. Let's get this treasure up. This place gives me the creeps. Blooming hard ground. Awful what I said. Snipes, look there. Through the trees. There's a light. Strike me pink of a night. That balmy old professor and his gang, eh? Now what's the matter? A ship. See a light bearing down on our port bow. Hmm. Yeah. Grabbed up their lamp. 
Give Harry the signal to douse our running light. That's that blooming cruiser what we sighted the other day. No use, Harry, dousing the running lights. With that lantern of the professor's gang up shore there, shining plain as day for them frogs to see? Mm, you're right, King. Here. Take so far. You take your rifle and put out the professor's light. Now, look here, Snack. I don't I don't care how you did it. Put out that light. Flashing through the broken twigs, stumbling over roots and vines, cursing under his breath, King starts off through the underbrush. Tarzan follows. The ape man doesn't understand the words, but the meaning, the meaning is that S-H-E is in danger. Swiftly Tarzan swings his lithe body along from tree to tree with scarcely the rippling of a leaf. He makes no sound that would betray his presence to the stumbling, cursing man below. Now he's between King the Pirate and the little clearing where she is. He waits. Hence he crouches on a low-hanging limb. From his right hand he dangles a length of grass rope looped at the end. King is coming. What a contrast. The clumsy sailor stumbling, splashing through the brush, while Tarzan, graceful, sleek, lord of the jungle, waits. Pirate is nearly under the tree where Tarzan crouches, ready for instant action. Now, King is under the tree. Tarzan throws his grass rope. He settles over the man's head and shoulders. The man yells. With a mighty heave, Tarzan yanks the mutineer into the air. King's arms up into his side. He struggles, kicks, curses. Tarzan shakes him like a terrier shakes a rat. Back and forth, back and forth. King is terrified. Is Tarzan going to kill him? Tarzan gathers the sailor into his arms. Swiftly, he winds the rope around the man's body. King cannot move hand or foot. Tarzan leans the sailor against the tree. King's eyes almost start from his head when he sees the brawny, brown figure of the ape-man. Slowly, deliberately, Tarzan draws his knife from its sheath. He points to the cabin and threateningly, significantly, draws the knife across his throat. King's teeth chatter. He cannot talk. But he understands and vigorously shakes his head. Tarzan, satisfied that the man will leave the hut alone, picks him up by the scruff of the neck and tosses him across his shoulder, and without effort, grasps a vine and swings to a branch. He balances himself a mere fraction of a second, then leaps into space. To miss either footing or grip means that two bodies will go hurtling down through the crashing branches to certain death a hundred feet below. But with a skill surpassing that of the great apes, his practiced hand and sure foot carrying him branch after branch, vine after vine, soundlessly, swiftly, closer and closer to the pirates. He stops. He hears the ring of metal on metal, a shovel striking the treasure chest. Dying, mate. The mat's all right. Here's our ruddy treasure chest, right enough. A good size, too. It's even up. Get out of that end, chunky. Please, now. Cruise is getting closer. We'd better dig another hole. Dump the chest in. 
Get aboard and blow before the cruiser leaves, too. And leave the treasure? Yes. If that cruiser overalls us in 30, it's goodbye treasure and the yard arm for all of us. Then why move the box? That cruiser's getting too close. Don't forget, Mighty. This professor bloke might have another map. No. We got time. She can't be without life. Now, be on me, Arthur. Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash Silver Age Heroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' astounding book. Tarzan tightens his grip. A scream dies in King's throat. Below his mate stands fascinated, hypnotized, frozen with fear. Tarzan looks down upon the group. In awful silence, his toes gripping the rough bark of a broad limb, inch by inch he moves toward its tip. With one quick movement, he draws the sailor to him. The mighty forearm flexes, tenses, and like a stone shot from a catapult, King shoots down, down upon the heads of his comrades. The sight of King, one of his mates hurtling from the tree, shocks Snipes, the leader of the pirates, into action. He reaches for a gun. He fires. The shot rings and echoes through the jungle. The bullet with a beam spat buries itself in the tree. Before Snipes can press the trigger again, Tarzan swifts as a leaping panther, crunches upward, and is lost in the black shadows of the towering cottage trees. Ah, King! What happened? What? 
Well, me an ape. Let me get away. Let him go. Let me get away. Don't let him get near me again. Uh, come off it, King. Pull yourself together. Blimey, you aren't that dead. Well, we'll all be dead. I tell you, we'll all be dead if we hang around here. King, come on. He goes through the street like a monkey. He just started an ox. I won't stay around here for all that time. I'll stay here as long as I say you will. King, now come on with you. What happened? I was going to put out that light there in the professor's cabin like you told me to. But all of a sudden, out of the trees with the rope, I'd be around the neck. And first thing I know is I jerk into the trees. Blimey. Rope, eh? I don't know what he is. Tied the rope about the arm. And here I am, master, above the ground, tied in a guy's arm. Well, what do you do? Go on. Go well, on. Rest. Let me give me breath. He takes your knife out of me. That's or whatever he has. Points to the up and signs to me that he'll cut me throat if I goes near the place. Then he ups and carries me back here and cuts me down at you. Didn't he say nothing? No, he didn't do what's right. He don't have to. Am I? I won't never forget him. Well, mate, all we've got to do is slide this here chest into the hole, fill it up, and blow. Can't be too soon for me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 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 that's it, mate. Now, pop it over with a bit of brush. Tarzan, from his hidden perch, watches Snipes and his murderous crew bury the treasure in a new hiding place and hurry toward their beach boat. Their one idea is to put as much distance between themselves and this jungle terror as possible. Swiftly, silently as the night itself, Tarzan drops to the lower terrace and squatting on a limb, stares curiously at the spot where the men have buried the box. If the men did not want the box, then why didn't they toss it aside? Tarzan understands burying the portion of a kill which he cannot eat, but the box? What do they want with that? Perhaps the men are going to return. That must be it. Tarzan swings to the ground. He bends over with his hands thrust aside the underbrush covering the spot. His hand strikes metal. It's the spade carelessly falling aside by one of the mutineers. Tarzan takes it into his hands, as he has seen the men do, and guiding it with untrained fingers, he pushes it into the ground. He digs. But Tarzan is not used to such a tool as this. The spade hurts his bare foot. His hands will not guide it as he wishes. Yet the ape man goes on. He digs and scrapes away. The loose dirt yields to it. The spade strikes the chest. Tarzan casts the spade aside. He peers into the hole. He runs his fingers over the chest, examining it. Abruptly, he reaches down, and as though the great box were an empty packing case, he pulls it from the hole. He hangs the spade over his back with a brass rope, picks up the chest, that great treasure chest, which taxed the combined strength of four men, lifts it to his shoulders, and plunges into the brush. He follows one of the ape trails, and makes for a spot deep in the jungle. Nimble, lithe as any of the big cats, he pads silently, swiftly along the trail. He knows nothing about the contents of the treasure chest. He only knows that he does not like the cruel Tamangani to whom he belongs, and that he wishes to annoy them so that they will leave his jungle. His pace slackens. He pauses for an instant, tense, listening. Satisfied, he flings down the chest and begins to dig with the spade. Tarzan learns quickly. The little practice has taught him a great deal about his use. The hole deepens rapidly. In the surrounding trees, sleeping monkeys wait. Wait their eyes. Gaze down at the ape man and scold. 
The first golden fingers of the coming dawn tinge the eastern sky. Tarzan works fast. The hole is big enough. Quickly, he dumps the chest in, straight the earth over it. Bending, he smooths the dirt, covers it with twigs, leaves. A perfect concealment. Vastly different from the brush piled on his clumsy hiding place by snakes and his mates. With one last backward glance, Tarzan catches a vine and swings into the trees. Leisurely, he makes his way toward the little cove, beside which stands the hut. The sun glints over the distant mountains. The jungle wakes to a new day. Tarzan glances down into the clearing. He stops. Fascinated. There before the hut stands S-H-E. Quietly, he lowers himself to the branch and sits, swinging his feet. While James outside the hut preparing breakfast, Professor Porter, Philander, and Clayton are inside discussing their escape from the mutineers. <laughs> Rather a novelty for us, isn't it? To be able to sleep all night without the possibility of waking up with our throats cut. Now, Archimedes, you know that one can't wake up with a cut throat. Philander, I, I was speaking metaphorically. One who is so lax in his mode of expression, you are much too meticulously particular. Uh, metaphorical or not, I endorse the sentiment. This is the first time for a week that I've had both eyes closed while I slept. Uh, where is Jane? Uh, outside, learning how to make coffee without a percolator. Do my senses deceive me? Or do I really smell bacon? Most emphatically, you smell bacon. Most amazing. Here we are on the west coast of Africa, miles from civilization, and yet we have bacon for breakfast. Oh, that, 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 nothing amazing about it. I carried that bacon ashore myself. Breakfast? You want to sit under the harbor outside? Outside, I'd say. Uh, most assuredly. Why eat in the hut when we can eat out under the trees? With the birds singing and... and the flies, Professor. Oh, oh, Now, you sit here, Daddy, on this packing table. And me, uh, You sit here, so you can reach the coffee. That will be your duty. Oh, right. I'll pour it now. Give it a chance to cool in these tin mugs. Jane? Thank you. And you, Professor? Thank you. Uh, Mr. Philander. Uh, thank you. And now, myself. Can I do anything to help James? Yes. You may open that can of jam there. Of course. This one? That's it. <laughs> you know, I'm really enjoying this. Uh, of course you are. Why not? Have I not always been an exponent of the much-debated theory? That the simple life is the only solution of the conditions resultant from our chaotic existence of today? Uh, just the same. Uh, now, now, don't mistake me. I'm not being pessimistic. But the outlook here is not of the brightest. In the first place, we deliberately came to a place off the beaten track. Hence, our chances of being picked up are, well, remote. Then you think that we... 
that we are here for the rest of our lives? Oh, no, not necessarily. The loss of the ship will result in a search. But we can't build too much of it. Uh, really, I, I don't know that I care much. Possibly. But what about Jane? She's young. She doesn't have your interest in things archaeological. Yes, yes, yes. I spoke without thinking. A very delightful breakfast, Jane. Truly delightful. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Now, to get busy. First, a strong bar to the door. A separate room for you, Jane, and some other things to make us as comfortable as possible. Ah, I feel the need of a little exercise. Uh, I shall keep a walk. Uh, join me, Philander. Of course, of course. Uh, now, as I was saying, last night when you dozed off to sleep, uh, by the way, Philander, uh, that is most undignified. What? Falling asleep? Uh, now, don't deliberately misconstrue my language. I refer to your falling asleep while I was talking to you. Sorry, Archimedes, but... Despite your most enlightening remarks, I was beastly sleeping. Professor Porter and Philander, intent on their discussion of things scientific, wander deeper and deeper into the jungle. Night falls. Oblivious to everything except their discussion, the two friends wander on and on. From the matted mass of underbrush, Numa's cruel yellow eyes watch. Numa roars. Behold my precious. Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here. Uh -huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loot. Fun surprises delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude. Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box. Woohoo! Yeehoo! Wowzers! With crates starting as large as $11.99 per month, there's a box just about for all collectors in. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media.us forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, dig it! You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From out the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' amazing book, 
Lastly, Professor, there seems to be someone approaching. That's the lander. How often must I tell you that? But I think I am the lander. I now find you guilty of a flagrant breach of courtesy in interrupting me to call attention to a mere quadruped of the genus Felix. And I was saying... Hello, Professor. A lion? If you insist on using slang, yes, a lion. Oh, reprehensible. I shall most certainly report this outrageous breach of ethics to the directors of the adjacent zoological Numa's roar carries to Tarzan as he sits on a low-hanging branch watching the hut. It's the roar of the king beast as he crouches, tawny belly hugging the ground before the steaming muscles propel him in terrific force upon his helpless prey. Tarzan springs to his feet. He leans forward, grasps the tough stem of a trailing vine. His knees bend as he pulls the vine toward him. His feet seem to grip the rough bark of the branch. His strong hands work their way down the vine. He crouches like a sprinter at the mark, and with one glance across the clearing, gauges his distance. He tenses, thrusts himself out into space. In a wide swinging arc, he crosses the clearing. He lets go. He flies through the air, ten, twenty feet. His arms reach out. He catches another branch, hangs on, drops again, down, down, down. He sees Numa crouch, his curled back, tiger like fangs bared. Tarzan feet by the branch for three seconds. He sees Porter, Philander, straight with terror. They stagger toward a tree. Porter trips. He throws out his arms to get his balance. He falls. Tarzan, with grace and skill beyond the dreams of any wire walker, runs out the branch. It's only a few feet from the ground. He bends down, drops, catches the branch with his left hand. His right hand shoots out. He grips Porter by the arm, pulls him off the ground. He must Her ears are almost flat against her head. The greenish yellow eyes gleam viciously. Tarzan lifts Porter to the branch. Satisfied that the professor is hanging on, he reaches for Philander. Numa screams. Philander clutches desperately at the branch. He touches it. The lion is within inches of Tarzan's foot. The ape man feels a hot, pungent breath. The brute's mouth is open. Rasp like tongues pressed hard against gleaming teeth. He smiles. Numa's jaws close with a vicious snap. The coarse, bristling hairs on top of the beast's head brush Tarzan's feet. Tarzan draws his knees up in the level of his chin, swings himself to safety. Back in Tarzan's hut, Jane Porter and Clayton are trying to make their jungle home as comfortable as possible. There. Take a look at this, Jane. Oh, that's fine. Now I can use the cupboard for our dishes. If tin mugs can be classed as dishes... Well, it isn't much to look at, but it's the first shop I ever made, and I'm quite proud of it. <laughs> at least it won't come down. You know, we are badly in need of something to sleep with. Do you think you could make a long handle soon? Why, yes, yes, I think so. Let me see it. Why, I can tie a bunch of these feathery leaves to a reasonably straight branch. Oh, that will be perfect. 
I can put up with almost anything but these enormous spider webs on the beams and in the corners. You know, Cecil, I've been thinking about that warning we found on the door. So have I. Tarzan of the Apes. Who on earth can he be? And why haven't we seen him? Well, as to that, I have no more idea than you have. But what I can't understand is how anyone could live in this hut and not bury the skeletons we found here. It is very strange. I can make nothing of it. That note, signed Tarzan of the Apes, is the most mysterious thing. Uh, by the way, if you have no objection, I would much rather make the petition for your room out of sailcloth. Oh, I have no objection. In fact, I feel that I'm getting altogether too much consideration having a room all to myself. Ah, but that's just it. If I put this sailcloth on some sort of a roller, we can put it down at night, and then in the daytime we'll, we'll still have the same amount of room. Why, I think that's a clever idea. Tell me, have you ever been shipwrecked before? <laughs> no, no. No, but I'll let you in on a secret. For the first ten years of my life, my sole ambition was to join Robinson Crusoe on his desert island. Well, well, this isn't getting on with the work. Uh, what? The ship. The ship is gone. Gone? Yes, yes. Well, there goes our last link with civilization. I... I don't know whether to be glad that those mutineers are gone or to be sorry to see the last of the ship. Well, of course, as long as they were here, our lives were in constant danger. But I suppose we all felt that the ship represented some sort of contact with the outside world. And the treasure. I wonder if they found that. That depends on whether or not Captain Casey found the map. And if he did, I suppose young... Oh, I know, I feel responsible. If I hadn't thrown that map overboard... We would all have been killed. And for all we know, Tristan may be right here in the jungle. The jungle. Oh, I do hope Father and Mrs. Philander don't wander too far away. You know, they're as helpless and thoughtless as two children. Oh, I think they're able to look after themselves. And now, Jane, where do you want me to put the clothes right? You know, if the white ants ever get into them, well, it's goodbye clothes. Well, there's really not much choice. I think over here by the bunk is as good a as any, don't you? Then over here by the bunk, it is. What are you going to use for clothes for? Ah, I have that all figured out. Whoever the previous occupants of the hut were, they had a good supply of carpenter's tools. While this floor is a bit rusty, the floor this branch I've selected, and I think when I've finished, yes, yes, I'm quite sure I'll have a perfectly good clothes rack. Now, work. Well, your Robinson Crusoe ideas are certainly standing up in good stead. <laughs> I could do a much better job if I had some decent nails. <laughs> <laughs>
Have you used the one from the packing case? Yes, yes, I have. But after pulling them out and trying to scrape them on rough stone, they bend too easily. Well, I think you're doing wonders. Well, I'm not much of a carpenter, but I guess we'll do it. My, that's well worth it. Yes, yes. Look here. What? Up on this shelf. Why, what? So, I'm way up here in this corner. But I didn't know they said before. Books? Oh, what sort of books? Well, they're so dusty. But this one looks rather like a diary. Kesson. Look. John Clayton. London. Your uncle, Lord Great Oak. Yes. But how do you account for these things being here in this savage African jungle? Well, there's only one explanation. Instead of being lost at sea, as we had believed he was, Greystoke died here. I wonder what happened to the famous Greystoke locket. What locket? A diamond-studded locket that has been in the family for generations. It was always presented to the bride of a graceful at her wedding ceremony. I'm sorry, Cecil. I'm awfully sorry. There seems to be nothing here but the book. Yes. Yes. Of course. Of course. The locket would have been with Lady Graceful. She was called the beautiful Lady Alice, wasn't she? Yes. I've seen her portrait, you know, in the gallery at the manor. Well... This explains a lot of things and leaves a lot of the other things unexplained. Why? What do you mean? I mean, this diary proves conclusively that they were not drowned. What happened to the crew of the vessel? How did Lord and Lady Greystoke come to this place? Were Lord and Lady Greystoke the sole survivors? Or is history repeating itself as it so often does? Did their crew mutiny and put them ashore? Perhaps the diary will tell us. Oh, well. I rather think the famous locket has been worn for the last time by the bride of a grace. <laughs> Tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Tarzan of the Apes, 
brought to you from out the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' gripping book. In human war, Clayton visualizes Porter and Philander attacked, bleeding, perhaps dead. He rushes headlong into the jungle, stumbling, tripping, crashing through the thorn and brush. He plunges deeper, presses farther, smashes onward. He comes to a jungle trail that leads to the water hole. He stops, glances up the trail, peers into the tangled mass of vines that is the jungle, listening. The distant roar comes from beyond the matted wall. Heedless of piercing, tearing thorns, he plunges straight ahead. Again he stops. He strains his ears, listening for that cry he dreads to hear. For the past moments that seemed like centuries, there's been no outcry from Porter and Philander. A horrible, strangling fear grips him. What if he should be too late? The thorn hurls him forward. Desperation lends the speed of frenzy to his feet. Meanwhile, back at the hut, Jane Porter, anxiously staring through the latticed bars of the window, sees her father and Philander approaching the hut. under the stress of existing circumstance, examine him with a scientific attitude, I feel nevertheless that he is of the higher order. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, when Philander first saw the lion and started running... Oh, now, Daddy, I can't think of a better thing to do than to run from a lion. See here, Professor Archimedes Q. Porter. 
Are you still trying to claim that you were only running away from that brute in order to continue talking to me? Islander was running, as I said, my dear. Are you accusing me of cowardice? Professor, the time has arrived when patience becomes a crime, and mayhem appears garbed in the mantle of virtue. Oh, Mr. Philander, uh, please. Cut, Mr. Philander, you forget yourself. I forget nothing, Professor Archimedes Q. Porter. But believe me, sir, I'm tottering on the verge of forgetfulness as to your exalted position in the world of science and your gray hair. Ah, see here, skinny Philander. If you're looking for a scrap, peel off your coat. And come out behind the hut, and I'll punch your head just as I did sixteen years ago in the alley back of Forky Evans' barn. Bless my soul. Why, Ark? Ark, how good that sounds. When you're human, Ark, I love you. But somehow it seems as though you'd forgotten how to be human in the last twenty years. Well, thank heavens. Maybe you two can stop your bickering for a little while now. Here I am, trying to find out about this, 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 whatever it was that saved your life. Yes, 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 my love. A most tremendous of me. My fault, Jane. I lost my temper. Now, now, don't you get into another argument as to whose fault it was. Oh, dear, but what's going to happen to Why doesn't he come back? He's still standing there arguing. We should be out looking for him. Uh, yes, yes, you're quite right. Quite right, my dear. Quite right. Uh, I will start now and conduct a search with the utmost diligence. But you were just lost in the jungle yourself. How can you expect to find your way? I forgot to mention, dear, that this same... Uh, I can think of no suitable word uh, other than gentleman. Yes. This same gentleman who rescued us from the lion led us back to within sight of the hut. Then, then he must be Tarzan of the Apes. Uh, 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 what's that, my dear? If he led you back here, he must be the one who left a notice on the door of a hut. How stupid of me. Of course. That is the solution. Why, yes, 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 yes. Precisely. But what about Clayton? Really, Professor... I don't at all like the idea of leaving Jane here unprotected in case some of the mutineers should return. Oh, I was about to tell you. The ship has gone. Well, what's going on? Has the ship gone? Gone, did you say? Gone. Vanished. Come here. Look for yourself. Dear, 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 dear. Yes. And the ship has gone with the treasure. Dear, dear me. The lost to science in general, and archaeology in particular, uh, will be the most regrettable, the most unfortunate, absolutely irreparable. Well, I, for one, am glad to be rid of the ship and those terrible men. Of course. With those piratical villains in charge of the ship, the situation was decidedly uncomfortable. One could never be quite sure in one's mind as to what their next actions would be. But no, 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 dear. The loss of the ship is not nearly such a catastrophe as the loss of the treasure. The professor, without a ship, how could we have removed the treasure? Uh, one thing at a time. One thing at a time, Philander. How often must I tell you that concentration of the mental faculty? Oh, I thought you do you think it's required a shot? Uh, no, 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 no. Clayton might be unnecessarily alarmed, my love. Your previous suggestion that we search for him 
has my hearty approval. Uh, now, now, where are those rifles, eh? Ah, eh? ah here's one. Yes. Uh, if you will take that other rifle, Philander, right, yes, right. and be careful you do not shoot yourself. Oh, nothing. I, I will arm myself with this gun. It needs to be loaded. Be careful, Professor. Be careful. Tarzan, from the lofty branches of a gnarled and twisted tree, watches Clayton, utterly exhausted, his sense of direction gone, flashing about in the tangled maze of underbrush. Curiosity outweighs the ape man's feeling of contempt for this stranger who violates all the laws of jungle prudence. Never before has Tarzan seen anything, not even Tanto the elephant, deliberately chase a lion. He shakes his head. Had it been earlier in the morning or later in the evening, the man surely would have fallen prey to the lightning-like stroke of Numa, the lion, or the death-dealing lunge of Sheeta, the leopard. Satan leans his rifle against the bowl of a tree, mops his forehead, and glances about him. The impenetrable walls of tree, thorn, vine, and scrub hem him in securely in the tiny clearing. In his anxiety to rescue Porter and Philander, he is blundered, broken, and thrust his way in, and now he's hopelessly lost. There's a crackling of brush behind him. He whirls. He's nothing. But Tarzan has caught a glimpse of Sheeta the leopard. He hears the soft, bending grass, the stealthy pad of feet. He glances back at Cleeton. He wonders why the young white man's not warned. Can it be that he failed to hear? Never before has Tarzan known Sheeta to be so clumsy, so careless in his stalking. A ripple passes under the spotted silk and sheen of the leopard's coat. The muscles, strong as steel traps, tighten, tense, stiffen. Tarzan watches. Sheeta's ears flatten, tail straightens. The tip of the brute's tail twitches. The twitch that signalizes the charge. Tarzan's call of warning splits the threatening silence of the jungle. Sheeta crouches motionless. The baleful glare dies from Sheeta's eyes. Gives way to a glint of fear. The standing hairs reach down the leopard's spine. The flattened ears twitch. Sheeta stands petrified. With an angled cough of fear and anger, Sheeta's tail between legs slinks off into the jungle. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. of Edgar Rice Burroughs' thrilling book. Tarzan watches the result of his terrifying call of warning. He sees Sheeta's glossy form slink behind the cover of a spreading mimosa bush. Then turns his head to find Clayton staring up at him in utter amazement. Tarzan regards the young Englishman curiously. Gracefully poised on the tip of a swaying limb, the ape man watches the color flood back into Clayton's face. The jungle, which had momentarily stilled at Tarzan's warning cry, stirs again to life. From the solid mass of tall trees comes the shrill piping of jungle birds, intermittently broken by the deeper notes of the larger birds. Half hidden by the dense verdure, Manu the monkey chatters and scolds. 
The high sun, filtering through the lacy maze of vivid green, floods the clearing with flashes of gold. Tarzan's bronze body melts into the shadows. With the ease and skill born of years of habit, he drops limb by limb, branch to branch behind the dense screen of tropic leaves, and lands on the moss-deadened ground behind Clayton. The Englishman wheels around, reaches for his rifle, and stops when he sees Tarzan. Thanks, old man. You certainly saved my life. Tarzan says nothing. Curiously, he examines Clayton's clothing. He runs his hand over the woolly texture of the khaki hunting shirt. Clayton turns to face the ape man. Tarzan grips him by the shoulder, swings him around. Into Clayton's mind flashes the memory of the warning note came to the door of the hut. You must see Tarzan of the ape. Tarzan pays no attention. Now he's examining Clayton's boots. I do. I say, don't you talk? By way of answer, Tarzan pulls Clayton's right foot from under him and continues his minute examination of the strange white man's leather feet. Clayton struggles to regain his balance. Look here, Rocha. Don't you think this has gone far enough? Tarzan lets Clayton's foot go. He reaches for the rifle, but Clayton's too quick. The Englishman tries to get his hand over the trigger guard. Tarzan grips barrel and starts. He twists. Clayton winces. His fingers caught in the guard. They sway from side to side. Tarzan raises his arms above his head. Clayton hangs by his fingers to the trigger guard. He can't hang on. His fingers slip, slip between the trigger and guard. He tries to draw them clear. He can't. Meanwhile, back at the hut, Jane, her father, and Philander discuss Clayton's prolonged absence. I completely fail to comprehend why a practical man like Clayton does not return. Oh, do you suppose anything could have happened to him? Almost anything might happen in this... Wilderness? Don't worry, Jane. I'm sure Cecil is perfectly capable of taking care of himself. Uh, yes, yes, of course he is. Dear, dear me, so many things have happened. I, I've hardly had time to write a line in my notebook. Uh, dear, dear me, I had built such high hopes of finding the treasure in order that it might defray my archaeological research cost. Oh, did it ever occur to you, Daddy, that perhaps there might not be any treasure, that it all might be a hoax? Oh, dear, what has happened to Tut? Oh, Tut, Jane, I'm perfectly convinced by internal evidences deduced by me from the map. Well, might it have been a forgery? Yes, yes, perhaps. Uh, to be perfectly fair in my judgment, it might have been a forgery. However, I feel that such an eventuality is remotely negligible. Well, have you thought that there might be a duplicate map of the treasure location? Duplicate map? Why, yes. I've read in books about pirates that it sometimes happens that one of the crew makes a map for himself unknown to the captain. Then he can come back and steal the treasure for himself later. Oh, dear, I wonder where it's personally Well, really, really, most interesting, my dear. I must admit that the possibility of such a thing had escaped me. Perhaps. Yes, it is quite a possibility. But uh, I fear it is too much to hope. I fear the mutineers have absconded with our treasure and are probably even now dissipating the proceeds. Oh, it's not a treasure we should be worrying about now, Daddy. It's Cecil. It seems hardly likely that he would have stayed away as long as this. Uh, you're right, my dear. Uh, then, as you suggested... We had better prosecute a Professor, hadn't I better remain with Jane? Why, certainly not. Nothing will harm me. And then we will proceed at once. Come, Philander. If Cecil returns while you are gone, I will fire one shot. That will be the signal for you to come back. Splendid idea. Uh, why, yes. 
one shot. Re- remember, Philander, one shot. I shan't forget. Now keep it inside of the cabin. Uh, but, my dear, if we keep within sight of the cabin, it will seriously impair the efficiency of the search. Well, be very, very careful, then. We shall be careful. Well, come, Philander. Uh, let us enter the primeval fastness. Uh, here, here, now, now, please, please, point that rifle either at the ground or at the sky. You need, Professor. Have no fear, I've handled rifles before. Oh, do be careful. Yes, yes, my dear. That is not a fear reasonable to you, my dear Philander. That in any sort of serious research work. Look, Professor, there's a broken branch. That means Clayton has passed this way. Again, my dear Philander, you are indulging in that most mentally debilitating habit against which I have so frequently warned you. That of jumping hastily at conclusions. The process of reasoning... Right, sir, Professor. But I read in, in some book, rather, I can't call at this moment the title that the aborigines of these regions unerringly read such science in the forest. But I might call your attention to a faulty major premise, Mr. Philander. You are not an aborigines. And uh, our friends in the treetop evidently agree with my scientific conclusions. Apropos, I believe we're out of sight of the cabin. And Jane said... Uh, right, right. Jane didn't say for us to remain within sight of the cabin. But might she not have meant hearing rather than sight? I wonder. Since an acoustic rather than a visual signal was arranged. She's not, Professor. There's a mimosa branch broken at just the height of a man's hand. I'm sure Clayton passed here. Uh, <laughs> most interesting. I must make a note, sir. Let us press forward a piece, Professor. We may yet overtake, Clayton. Ah, yes, 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 yes. The mimosa, when crushed, gives off a pungent odor. Uh, would you describe the odor as pungent, Philander? Or should I say... Oh, say whatever you please, but hurry! We must find Tessa. Uh, one moment, one moment, Philander. Do not be so precipitous, uh, uh, precipitous, I say. Pungent odor, yes. I would describe it as pungent. And in that connection, I might also mention that the female of a certain species of fruit fly... Bless me! Well, what was that? Rifle shot. Clayton must have got back. Come, Professor. Come on, let's get started. Come on. Hurry. Hurry. Back in the hut, Jane hears the shot. She thinks of Clayton, or, or her father may have fired it and goes to the door. Raoul oh, stops her in her tracks. Before the hut stands, Sable the lioness. Jane leaps back into the hut and slams the door. With anxious, fumbling fingers, she drops the locking bar into place. With a snarl of rage, Sabor leaps. Her heavy body crashes against the barrier. Jane stands behind the door, trembling. The lioness scratches at the rough planking between her and her prey. Sniffing and she circles the hut. She stops, looks at the barred window. She raises herself on her hind legs. Four claws on the sill, she glares through the window. Sabor sees Jane watching at the end of the hut. The wicked eyes gleam. The long, brutal claws work convulsively. She tests the bars with her huge paw. She drops to the ground, gathers her haunches under her, crouches. With a roar, she hurls herself upward. She crashes against the wooden bars. They creak under the terrific impact. They hold! Sabor drips back to the ground. 
episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash Silver Age Heroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior!